Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. listeners, you're back with another exciting session of Q&A with Bishop Julian. I'm your host for today, Javina Graham, and my co-host is here. His name is? Jeremy Ambrose. Hello, everybody. And thank you for joining us. Now, I am full of questions about our, our topic today, Bishop Julian. I hope you're ready. We live in a time where for the first time in 600 years, I think, the Holy Father has abdicated. Can you tell us why is Benedict XVI doing this? It took the whole world by, by surprise. Nobody had the slightest idea. People in hindsight, of course, would say, oh, you know, he visited the tomb of St. Celestine and so on. But, but the question uh, of his decision to retire was something that nobody anticipated and, and, and so everybody was caught by surprise. It, it's a very interesting question and I suppose we won't know fully the, the reasons, but... Um, Certainly, as the Pope has expressed it, um, he, as he said, he, he prayed about it a great deal. He discerned the decision, and uh, he really tested his conscience on this decision. He he did it basically for the good of the church, and that I think is so typical of um, of Pope Benedict XVI and Cardinal Ratzinger for his whole of his life. He's been devoted to serving the church and. When he became Pope, he just said that I'm simply a labourer in the vineyard of the Lord. Yes. So he very much sees himself as, as one to serve. And I, I think he, he very simply, through his process of reflection, felt, I don't think I can serve the way I need to serve the church at this time. In recent months, his, um, his health has been failing, particularly his mobility has been restricted. I think he's also aware that while he, um, he still is very intellectually alert, I think he's aware of uh, perhaps lack of energy or capacity to deal with all the issues that uh, surround, surround him as Pope. And maybe one of the other issues was uh, he was very close to Pope John Paul II and I think he, he witnessed his decline in health and, and, and his ultimate death and I think he was probably also aware that it's a difficulty these days when a pope becomes very ill that, that a lot of the work of the church isn't able to be effectively carried out because the pope's not up to the, the task. In years past, when life was slower, life was simpler, things could happen in the Vatican and they just happened quietly and steadily. But now everything's under such intense media scrutiny. Mm. Uh, every word, every action is subject to comment and, and, and across the, the world media that um, times have changed. And I think the Pope was aware that uh, with the many pressing challenges facing the church, it needed to have somebody who's fully alert, fully strong enough and capable enough to, to be able to, to deal with these questions. So I think... They were possibly some of the reasons that uh, led him to to make this um, this quite momentous decision and this historic decision. Um, 
And uh, but I think at the heart of it was his concern for the well-being of the church. I, I agree. Momentous is very much the word for this time, and I think we will be reflecting on this, and probably generations to come will be reflecting on this step in depth in, in many ways. But I'm going to ask quite a, I guess, perfunctory kind of question now, mm. and that is, what will we call him? This is a very, this is a very good question. I think the answer uh, immediately is to say that the Pope is a Bishop of Rome. He's a Bishop. He's a Bishop of Rome, and as such, he has the title of Pope, continuing the work of St. Peter. So when the Pope steps down from being the Bishop of Rome, he still remains obviously a Bishop, but he's not an ex-Pope. We can't really see him in, in, in that way. When he steps down, I, I I believe, and I might be proved me wrong, but I would say he would return to being and would be uh, recognised as um, as Cardinal Ratzinger, if I formerly right. Pope Benedict XVI, but now Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, who is living in retirement as he as he intends to do within the, uh, the convent that is within the, the the walls of the of the Vatican. Well, see, this is funny because, okay, I mean, at, so, at some point in the future, you know, he will pass away as well. And then what's going to ha- how are people going to talk about him afterwards? That's right. He, I, I think, obviously, he will be known as Pope Benedict for history. Mm-hmm. But, uh, as I said, I might be mistaken, but I, I would imagine that we cannot have two popes, you see. And, and really, he's no longer a pope. He's still a bishop, he's, he's still a cardinal, mm. but he's no longer a pope. And because he's also, because he's over the age of 80, he cannot uh, vote for his successor. So he wouldn't be involved at all in the conclave. I, I think he will retire from the role of being pope and become Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, living in, in retirement. Wow. Formerly known as Pope Benedict and... Form- Futurely known as Benedict. <laughs> yes. How interesting. It, back, it boggles the mind, really, the way you can think about this. So uh, as a cardinal, then, he will presumably wear, wear the garments of a cardinal? I, I would presume so. I, I presume that he would uh, then dress as as a cardinal because he's no longer a pope, so he wouldn't continue to dress the pope. As I said, I might be wrong on these things because <clears throat> nobody knows exactly uh, how this will will be played out, but that is my uh, understanding of, of it. Now, the last Pope to do this was imprisoned afterwards. There's no chance of that happening, is there? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I, I, th- I think uh, <clears throat> his, his decision to, to live within the, 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 the walls of the Vatican uh, is also associated with the fact that he wants to devote himself to, to prayer. It's a clear sign that he wants to withdraw from the public spotlight and I think he would be very conscious of not in any way wanting to seem to be influencing the the, the state of the church or the, or the new new pope. And I think Cardinal Ratzinger, as Cardinal Ratzinger now, would have the the full intention of allowing uh, his successor to have complete freedom in 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 the way he conducts his work as as pope. Uh, so I think he very much would want to retire and, and be out of the spotlight. 
and not make um, comments or, or anything like that that would in any way um, cause any difficulty for the new, uh, the new Pope. And really, in many ways, the new Pope will have a great advantage in that he's got Cardinal Ratzinger praying for him. Yes, That'll yes. Well, Bishop, okay, so what's going to happen in this conclave? Um, can you tell us a bit about the processes? Yes, yeah, so the, the conclave is uh, was always a very mysterious and, and, and kind of uh, almost theatrical uh, kind <laughs> of event because people are waiting for the smoke to come out of the, the chimney. Um, this... Um, the conclave, of course, has a history. It's, a, it's, it's associated with finding the ways in which a pope can be chosen free from any um, uh, lobbying um, and, and uh, particularly free from any uh, outside influences. Uh, in times past, kings and emperors sometimes try to add influences to who would be the next pope that might suit their purposes and so on. And so that's why... The cardinal electors all go into the Sistine Chapel. It's all locked, and they're locked locked away. Uh, I have to say, strictly speaking, they don't stay within the Sistine Chapel because they do go to uh, to live in a place called Santa Marta, which is a, a residence within the, the Vatican, and they'll, they'll stay there. But there are very, very strict rules about um, communication with the outside world. There's no communication. Um, even these days with mobile phones, there are very strict controls that uh, there's no contact with the outside world. But those who will choose the Pope are cardinals. Now, it may be of, of interest to know that um, each cardinal, each, each person who's chosen to be a cardinal, it doesn't have to be a bishop or an archbishop. We do have priests who are cardinals. But each cardinal is given a particular parish in Rome. So if you like, those who choose the Pope are really the parish priests of Rome electing the Bishop of Rome. Oh. So each single cardinal, like Cardinal Pell in, in, for Australia and for, for, for Sydney, he has a parish in Rome. So the other thing that was brought in, um, I think by Pope Paul VI, was to say that a cardinal has to be under the age of 80 at the time of the death, or in this case, of the resignation of the Pope. So um, so those who, uh, at the, the time of, uh, of uh, Pope Benedict's uh, resignation as Pope, are under the age of 80, uh, are eligible to be involved in the conclave. Apparently there's about 117 cardinals uh, fit that uh, qualification. There are many cardinals who are over the age of 80. They can actually come prior to the conclave, because normally before the conclave, the cardinals do gather and have general discussion. They don't mention names, but they do talk generally about uh, what sort of man is needed for the church mm. in this moment in history. So cardinals can, can speak and share their thoughts, their reflections. It's not meant to be a case of actually choosing anybody or proposing anybody, but really talking about the qualities necessary. Should the Pope come from Europe? Should the Pope come from Africa or or or, uh, or South America? You know, should um, the, the should the Pope be more pastoral? Should the Pope be more doctrinal? Mm. Should the Pope be able to engage with um, political powers? What are the what are the particular qualities and uh, and strengths that would be needed in the Pope at, at this moment in history? 
and for the immediate future. So they would talk about it in general. So it gets uh, the chance, and, and Cardinals over the age of 80 can engage in those reflections and discussions. But then when the conclave begins, only those who are the Cardinal electors go into the Sistine Chapel. And basically it's a time of prayer. Uh, it's not a time in which there are... Um, Great debates and lobbying, all that sort of thing. It's it's uh, they they spend time in prayer and then they vote. Maybe several times a day, uh, they will they will vote. Uh, and and obviously, as the vote takes place, every all the cardinals can see the the result, the way it's going. If they agree with it, they may put their vote towards a person who seems to be the right who is emerging as the right person. But the voting could take some time, and it could be the case that um, there are a couple of candidates and it's not clear as to who's the right one. So that's why it can take some time uh, for it to be realised. And maybe because the, 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 the Pope uh, made this announcement so uh, unexpectedly, it's probably caught a lot of people off guard in terms of actually thinking who would be the right person to be, uh, to be his successor. But only time will tell uh, how long that will, will take. Well, our Prime Minister is probably feeling a bit miffed at having uh, the surprise election that she called be so superseded by world news like this. But how does how does the, uh, the how do the votes tally? Is it first past the post kind of, or does there need to be a certain number of votes for one nominee? Yes, I'm I'm not 100 percent sure on this. I think it's two thirds. Uh, I think it's two thirds. Yes. Okay. And can cardinals who are over 80 who aren't cardinal electors, can they be voted in as Pope? It's possible. Mm. But I think it would be very unlikely. I think um, Cardinal Ratzinger was a very obvious choice to continue the, the legacy of Pope John Paul II. I, I think there'll be a, a bit of a generational change, I, I think, uh, with, the, with the new Pope. So um, I think this is the hot question for us in Australia, but... What chances does our Cardinal, Cardinal Pell have? <laughs> he himself would say, no chance. <laughs> <laughs> now, certainly his name has been mentioned, but, uh, but uh, it would, uh, uh, certainly he, he, would not, he would not rate him. He's encouraged people not to put any money on, <laughs> on him. Well, let's wait to see what the Holy Spirit says in all this. Eh? Yes. That's right. That's right. So thank you, Bishop Julian, so much for enjoying this topic with us. And I'm sure up to and, and especially from the 15th of March, the Ides of March, we will be praying and watchfully looking over at Rome. Thank you. Yes. And we pray that um, the Holy Spirit will give us uh, another wonderful Holy Father who will inspire us and, and, and lead us forward through you know, challenging times. Uh, Jeremy, we've, we've had the practice with the, the Q&A of um, ending the, the session with a, a little, did you know, a little, perhaps a little piece of uh, information about uh, Catholic life, Catholic tradition, Catholic practices. Um, one one thing that I've always uh, been interested in is is to understand the the origins of some of the important prayers that we pray that really make up the treasury of our of our, of our prayer in the church. And we obviously know the Our Father; it's what the Lord taught us to pray, and so we know immediately the origins of that, and 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 can 
because we understand the origins can, can then appreciate the significance of the prayer. But the, the second probably most significant prayer for Catholics is the, the Hail Mary. And uh, my question today would be, do you know how the Hail Mary um, came about? Who composed it? How old is it? Why has it the content of uh, that it has? Well, I guess... I mean, the first part of the Hail Mary is, is from Scripture, um, but on the second part, I think you've got me stumped, Bishop. Mm. It's, it's very interesting because uh, the Hail Mary can be traced back to medieval times, essentially, but its origins are very interesting because in the Divine Office, there was the practice in the Middle Ages of saying what was called the Little Office of Mary on Saturdays. It was a very common practice. A Saturday was a day devoted to Our Lady. And the prayers that the priests and monks would say would be, uh, would be the office in honour of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And in the Divine Office, there are three psalms uh, in the Divine Office. And each of the psalms has an antiphon. Just like at Mass, we have the little refrain that we say with the res responsorial psalm. So in the office, we have a refrain at the beginning and end of each psalm. The first two psalms that were said had the antiphon, uh, in Latin of course, but uh, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. The second psalm, uh, which was the words of the angel Gabriel, the second psalm had after it, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, which of course are the words of, of Elizabeth. Now, these were said in Latin, but the, the ordinary people would come along and they probably wouldn't be able to follow the, the, uh, the psalm so much, but the antiphons which they'd hear so regularly, they'd get to know. Mm. So they know, Ave Maria, Gratia, Plain, the Dominus, take them. You know, they, they just know that because they hear it so often. And so sometimes the people would feel that, uh, while I can't say the psalms with the, with the monks or with the, with the priests in the, in the cathedral, um, I'll say the antiphon. You know how we sometimes get to know antiphons really well? So they would say, Ave Maria, Gratia, Plana, Domus, Tecum. Uh, we would say the words, and then and, and then they put both antiphons together. So they'd often just say the two antiphons and run them together. Then it would seem, probably in the 13th century, that um, this became something that people would sometimes say quite, quite regularly. It would seem that... Probably, um, and they believe it's probably a Cistercian monk in the 13th century, just added in the second part of the prayer. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So that was added in. And then eventually the word Jesus was added in. Mm. The fruit of your womb, Jesus, because Jesus wasn't in the, the original text. And so by the, the 13th century, this had become a, a very popular prayer. As I said, it was associated in origin with Saturdays being a day devoted to Our Lady. And then so the prayer was taken up as a prayer that people could pray to Our Lady because the church on each Saturday in particular used to have prayers in honour of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And, and so this was the origin of the, of the Hail Mary, which has come now down to be probably would say for, for most Catholics, the second most used or perhaps even the most used prayer when you think of the rosary, mm -hmm. uh, the Catholics say. Well, well, now we know the origins for the 
the two most popular prayers, the Our Father and the Hail Mary. You've been listening to Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. For more episodes, visit radio.org.au.